The following audio is from Abner Creek Baptist Church. For more information, visit www.abnercreekbaptist.com. Well, let me invite you to take your copy of God's Word and open to Luke 2 this morning. Luke 2, you've already heard the uh, um, Scott family uh, read what will be the passage today. Uh, Luke 2, uh, verses 8 through 20 is where we'll spend our time today. We're continuing to, to lead up to... Uh, what is Christmas Day? And we're in this season of Advent. And uh, is there a little ring? Can y'all hear that? Here's it. So, Travis, you and I have ringing in our head. We're there. All right. Um, so, we're continuing to lead up to uh, Christmas Day. And um, we're in this Advent season. Advent, the coming of the Christ, uh, that he, he came to be with us uh, to save us from our sins. And so there's this season of anticipation that's built in annually for us to remember what it is to wait on God and to trust that He will keep His Word. So uh, Luke 2, uh, verses 8 through 20 is where we'll be. And let me just ask you a question as I begin today. Uh, Where do people get their information about God? I don't expect you to shout out answers or anything like that, um, but... I want you just to think about that. Like the average person, where are they getting their information? Where are they forming their opinion of God? Where do they shape their view and understanding of God? Where is that coming from? Well, if you think about it, particularly this time of year, there are lots of documentaries that come out, lots of blog posts and articles that come out and and, uh, say this or say that about... Jesus and, and the baby and Bethlehem and all of these things. People are forming their opinions from made-for-TV movies. Um, my wife loves to watch Hallmark uh, Channel during this season, and uh, I do not join in lots of times with her watching Hallmark Channel. But I, people are forming their opinions, even, even of God from Hallmark Channel and other things, the Internet, books, from friends, from professors. People are forming their opinions about God and shaping the way they view Him and understand Him. Well, in some ways, this becomes like the old game that you used to play in a youth group. If you have any church background, in a youth group, we used to play this game, the telephone game. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Uh, Where it would start, you know, at the end, one end of the line or one end of the circle or one point in the circle, I guess I should say, and you'd whisper something in, in one person's ear. And then the person would then turn and they would whisper that as they heard it into the person's ear beside them. And then it would go down the line and it would go all the way around the circle. And then the last person who was to to hear what was whispered there is to tell what they heard. And what what starts out as something like uh, the sky is blue with clouds of white uh, turns into this guy I know, he plows at night or something like that. You know, it's just, just totally like not what was said in the beginning. And that's kind of what this is. People are forming their opinions of God by coming into somewhere in this conversation, and rather than going to the source, they're jumping in somewhere and forming opinions about God. The reality for us is the best thing for us to do is not to jump in midstream somewhere or to turn to some made-for-TV movie or documentary or or something else, but instead what, what would make the most sense is for us to go to the source. And we believe here at Abner Creek that God has indeed spoken to us, that He has given us His Word. If you'll notice, every time I come to preach, I say I would invite you to take your copy of God's Word and open with me to 
And the reason I say that is because we affirm that, that the Bible is the Word of God. And so we believe that God has spoken. And so rather than jumping in somewhere else, we want you to come to the source, which is out of the mouth of God Himself. So that's what we're going to do today. And we're going to look at this and, and gain an understanding a little bit about who God is, what He does, particularly with unlikely people. So if you will, I know we've heard it, but let me just read our text again. Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 20. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. The angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. They went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. The first thing I want you to see in, I, in this text today as we go to the source and we look at what God has said to us is that God's plans begin with unlikely people. I mean, really, I heard one commentator say that the only people who really should be in this scene probably were the angels. That everyone else really shouldn't be there. They're unlikely people to be there. Verse 8 points out that there are shepherds here in the field keeping watch over their flock by night when an angel appears to them and announces the birth. Shepherds were not looked on very well in that day and age. They weren't thought very highly of at all. Uh, They were uneducated, unskilled. Um, This was a a job that you gave to children. If you think back, if you have any church background, and you think back to when when David, little David, goes out to check on his brothers who are in battle, he's a child at that point, and he's been given the task of watching the sheep. This is not a job that's thought highly of. In fact, if you were still a shepherd into your adult years, there had been a fail somewhere along the way. Let's just say that you were probably still living in your mom's basement, you know, if, if that's the case for you. I mean, you just something went wrong. Uh, sheep required 24 hours a day, seven day a week care. So shepherds were perpetually guilty of being unclean or breaking the ceremonial law. They couldn't observe the Sabbath. And so those, the religious people of the day, looked on shepherds as continually unclean. They didn't observe the Sabbath, so we we can't be around them. They were disqualified in the eyes of those who were religious. The reality was they were doubly unclean because not only were they ceremonially ceremonially unclean, they probably weren't the most hygienic guys in the world either. I mean, they're out there in the field caring for sheep, and, you know, they they probably don't smell the greatest, and they probably don't take care of one another uh, or or their their bodies all that well. So they're doubly unclean. 
Many of them, they were known as liars and thieves. They were dishonest and they were untrustworthy. Many of them had, I mean, they just stole things, took things that didn't belong to them. Um, And and they were constantly looking over their, their shoulders, hiding They were untrustworthy to the point where shepherd's testimony was not permissible in in a court of law. So if if a shepherd was the one who witnessed something, they couldn't couldn't speak about it. It They were unreliable and they were unsavory characters. They were shady at best. These were shepherds. They're unlikely here that God would begin with them. Imagine the scene, though, when the angels showed up. They weren't exactly used to getting good news, the shepherds. And so they're, they're there, they're probably always hiding, looking over their shoulder, trying to, trying to count up what they've stolen or, or this or that. And all of a sudden, an angel appears in the sky, and the glory sh- is, is shining all around this angel, and it says that they were filled with fear, and no wonder. They're, they're, they're terrified because they probably are thinking that at this moment they're about to be busted for something. All of a sudden, somebody shows up, and they're scared to death, and not to mention the fact that it's not just somebody, but it is an angel. Now, in case you've missed it, and if you don't have any, any uh, biblical background, uh, Hallmark and other places, I hate, I'm just busting on Hallmark today, but I don't mean to be, but, but the world likes to paint angels as these sweet, feminine characters, and the Bible never does that. The Bible paints angels as, as uh, masculine warriors, messengers, warriors, but they're, they're, not, they're not what the world says they are. And so when they show up, these shepherds are fearful for good reason. So let me ask this. If you were living in Israel at the time and you were going to script the birth of the Messiah or God's son, if you were writing the story, how would you get the news out? You probably wouldn't do it this way. In fact, if you were writing the story, if you have any church background at all, you would probably say, you know what, where I would start is I would go to the high priest, and I would tell the high priest. I would say, look, God's son, time's here. It's the fullness of time. Get the word out. You might go to the Pharisees or to the Sadducees. You, you might go to the, to the Levites, members of the Sanhedrin. But you wouldn't go to shepherds. He would never go to shepherds, but that's what God does. And I would remind you, I would point out to you that God doesn't do things the way that we would, we would do things. God always does things in ways that, where only He can get the glory. God works in mysterious ways. Instead, God chooses to reveal the Christ to one of the most unlikely groups of people that you could ever have imagined being shepherds. Because that's exactly the type of people that God seeks to save. That Jesus came to save, not those who are likely to be saved, not that they cannot be saved, but Jesus didn't come for those who were well, who had it all together, who were the religious people, and, and man, they're great, and Jesus came for them. Instead, he said with his own mouth that he came for those who were sick, for those who were broken, for those who were unlikely, people who aren't clean, who don't have it all together, who live on the fringes, who are outcasts, who are simple and ordinary, those who are disqualified by others. 
That's who Jesus came to save. Jesus said when he stood in the temple, opened the scroll, and read, uh, he quoted, he read from Isaiah 61, and he said, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. This is who Jesus comes to save. And this is what God does. God works through unlikely people. We talked about this last week, and we talked about this the week before. So what exactly here are the shepherds told by these angels? I want to spend some time just walking through the message that the angel gives to the shepherds. Verses 10 through 14, The angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy. Well, as I said, the shepherds were not exactly used to getting a lot of good news. Most of the time, they were, um, they were given bad news. I just spent some time just thinking through the life of a shepherd. The shepherds were often uh, ostracized. Uh, they received flack, uh, blame, and accusation. If a sheep goes missing, a shepherd is going to be accused. They get lots of that, but they don't get a lot of good news. So the angel comes to them and says, I bring to you good news of great joy. I mean, they're taking care of sheep. And sheep are not known for being the brightest of animals. They fall into holes. They will follow each other off of cliffs. And like, you'd think one falls off and and the rest would go, huh, I'm not going there. But the rest will just follow the first one off the cliff. This is, this is the animal that the shepherds are responsible to take care of, and so they're not used to getting a lot of good news. Many of you have seen the clip going around YouTube, this shepherd, and he's just walking out in the field, and you think, what's he doing? And he reaches down into this hole, armed up to his shoulder, and grabs a hold of him against to pull something, and he's pulling out what is a sheep. And you think, how in the world did that happen? That's a sheep, right? And this is who they're watching, and yet... The angel comes and says, don't, don't fear, don't be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy. And that's, that's incredible for these shepherds because they weren't used to that. These shepherds didn't even own the sheep that, that, they, uh, that they were watching. Many of them didn't. Many of them were, were always the, 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 the hireling and never actually the shepherd. They never owned the sheep. They were watching the sheep for someone else. Jesus spoke of this in John chapter 10 when he talked about the hireling, when a threat comes, will run away. So this was a common thing. Many of these guys were just not, they were, they were just not ever going to be the owners. They were ostracized, they were cast out, they didn't get a lot of good news. They're just on the outside, and this is who God comes to. The angel said, I'll bring you good news, great joy. It will be for all the people. For all the people. This is not going to be a message that's just for the religious upper crust. This is not going to be a message that's only for the nation of Israel, but now will go beyond the nation of Israel, and for the first time ever, Gentiles will be included. This was, this was always forecast. All the way back to Abraham, God had said, I'm going to make you the father of many so that you will be a blessing to all nations. 
But now it's hinting at the fact that the plan that God had from the beginning is indeed progressing. That this good news of great joy will be for all the people. And this is good news for you and I. That the message was not, not saved, not, not secluded away for only a, a, a people that were known because of the nation they were born into. Or the family they were born into. But instead, the message, if you're here today as a believer, has come to us as good news of great joy for us who were once on the outside. And this is good news. The angel went on and said, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. That this one that they would find wrapped in swaddling cloths, laying in a, in a manger, in a feeding trough, he would indeed be a Savior. This is the reason that Jesus came. Luke chapter 19, verse 10 says, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. This is a clue as to what you and I need. We need a Savior because our sin is our greatest problem. Our problem is not our environment. Our problem is not the hand that we were dealt in life. I mean, we spend so much time looking at, the, you know, how we were raised or what we were born into, and that's not our greatest problem. Our greatest problem is not karma. Our greatest problem is, is not a secluded set of choices that we made at some point that led to our life as we know it. This is not our greatest problem. Our problem is that we are sinners. Not, not good people who occasionally sin, but our problem is the fact that we are sinners. That, that we're not people who just tell a lie every now and then, but that we are liars. That our nature is one of sin. That it's our default position. Now I'm speaking outside of Christ. Without His grace that has forgiven us and that empowers us to live and be new creatures in Him, you and I, our default position is that we are indeed sinners. And the reality is, every one of us knows this. Because while we may put on a good face and we, we, we have probably lots of people fooled, we know the thoughts of our heart. We know what we struggle with and the temptations that continue to plague us and follow us. And, and what I'm interested in here is, in being your pastor is not to create this, this institution that allows you to carry on a facade and act like everything is okay when on the inside the reality is it's not. God never calls us to that. God never calls us to, to hide and, and to, to keep in the dark what He calls sin in our lives. Instead, what God calls us to do is to bring that into the light of His grace in Christ. To see it forgiven and then to see Him give us power to day after day after day to battle that, to set us free from that, to one day He will one day bring us completely into His presence where we will be conformed to the image of Christ. This is not a place for us to play and pretend. If that's what church is for you, let me just, let me just burst your bubble for, there for a second. Church was never meant to be that. If you're sitting here today and you're thinking, I'm not like these other people, 
you know, they, they've all got it together, and I come in this place, and I, I know myself, and man, if they knew who I was, they wouldn't have let me in the door. And I've said it to you multiple times in, a, in the seven-plus years I've been your pastor. If you knew who I really was in the darkness of my own heart and moments, you wouldn't sit here and listen to me preach to you. The reality is we are all messed up apart from the grace of our God. God works through unlikely people, and he works in unlikely people who desperately need his grace. The answer is not rehab or 12 steps or getting the Christmas spirit. Any, am I the only one? Does anybody else struggle to get in the Christmas spirit? Like, look, I want to be. And, and this year I'm really trying. Like, in my vehicle I've, I've got Sirius Radio and I don't pay for that. Apparently somebody had the video vehicle before me and they paid for it. And look, I'm just cruising on it, right? And, and I found that on Sirius Radio on Channel 17, the Holly Station is on. Plays Christmas music 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. So I have forced myself to go off of, of talk radio and listen to that. I'm trying to get in the Christmas spirit. I mean, I'm in there with Bing Crosby and you're a mean one, Mr. Grinch. You know, I'm doing all that, right? But the answer for me is not to make myself get in the Christmas spirit. The reality is our biggest problem is not something that we can fix. Our biggest issue is not something a radio station can can fix. Our biggest issue is ourself. Jesus came to fix us. We're all just as unlikely to receive the gospel of salvation as the shepherds. And like them, we are dishonest and unreliable and unsavory characters. Nevertheless, God has brought this good news to us. Even today, even today, in this hour, in these 30, 40 minutes, God has brought the good news to our ears. You may look up here and say, Pastor, you're no angel. (laughs) And that's true. But I'm still standing here heralding the gospel to you. Today I bring you good news of great joy that unto you there has been born a Savior who is Christ the Lord. So how do you respond to that news? How do you, how do, what comes out of that? I mean, the shepherds are standing there full of fear and all of a sudden, bam! I mean, what do they do? Well, verses... Uh, here, let me just look at it, make sure I'm telling you right. Verses 14 uh, and 15 tell us what they did or, or what, what happened. I mean, there in verses 13 and 14, I should say, I mean, apparently one angel is sufficient to deliver the message, but when it comes to responding to that message, it, re- it requires an army of angels. I mean, one angel can come on the scene and say, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. But when it comes to the responding to that message, all of a sudden there bursts on the scene this army, this host of angels, and they begin to sing, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. John Piper said that these are the great purposes for the coming of Jesus. Glory ever ascending from man and peace ever descending from God. This is the great purpose of of the coming of Christ. Glory ever ascending from man and peace ever descending from God. And that's our response. Our response to this news is praise. 
This ever-ascending praise and glory. That's our response. When the angel has come to the shepherds and to us and given us good news of great joy, our response is praise. We have cheapened praise by equating it to music. Haven't we? The praise is something that we do for 30 minutes on a Sunday morning. And we say, oh, the praise and worship today was really good. We've cheapened it. Praise was never meant to be relished to a corner and called only music. I'm so thankful for our musicians and those who lead us to praise in song. But praise goes way beyond that. It was always meant to. It is to be ever ascending to God. The shepherds show us this broader application, and this is where the application for you will be today. There are three things I want you to see that the shepherds did in response to the good news of great joy that they received. First is this. First, they took him at his word. And this is what I would challenge you to do today, is take God at his word. I started by saying so many people are going other places and finding out and forming their opinion of God. Go to his word Go to the Scripture and take him at his word. Just try him on it. Take him up on it. Take him at his word. Verses 15 and 16, when the angels went away from, from them into heaven, the shepherds are looking around at one another and said, let's go see. Isn't that natural? I mean, like, the angel comes, don't be afraid. I'm bringing you good news, great joy, Savior. You're going to find him wrapped in, a, in, in swaddling cloths. He's lying in a manger. You know, this is a clue here for them. You go over there, you're probably not going to find another baby laying in a, in a cattle trough. Not a lot of parents that, who had given birth that night that said, you know what we should do? We should take him to the barn. You know, that, that just doesn't happen. And so the shepherds standing around say, let's go see. And they go, the Bible says, with haste. And they find things just the way the angel described. And I, I started thinking about this just in my sanctified creativity, if you will, and I said, what would the shepherds have done if they had followed our lead today? What if the shepherds would have responded the way that we often respond in churches today? Well, perhaps the shepherds would, one would have said, well, let's, let's do this. Let's come back here next week, and we'll come back here every week at this time, and we'll remember this experience today. We'll celebrate this experience today. Maybe that's what they would have done. Perhaps one of the shepherds would have looked at one of the other guys and said, Hey, hey, uh, Bobby, why don't, why don't you put together a choir and, and learn that, that song the angels sang? And when we come back next week, you can lead us in that and we'll sing that song. Perhaps one shepherd might have memorized what the angels said and, 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 they would, and he would recite it every week and he would say, Look, guys, I memorized what they said. It was great, wasn't it? Fear not. I bring you good news of great joy, you know. Perhaps maybe another shepherd would have said, I think we should form a committee and, and, and talk about maybe planning a trip to Bethlehem. And I don't mean to be disparaging about the church because I love the church. I, I, think, I think there is some dysfunction in the church. And so many times, instead of taking God at His Word and simply believing Him and responding in faith to His Word, instead, we have institutionalized what it is to follow Christ. And instead of doing that, the shepherds don't form committees and and all of that. Instead, they just go see. They just take Him at His Word. 
And I began to think through, if I were to take God at His Word, what has God said that I can take Him at His Word? What can I believe God about? What what has He told me? And so I want to give you just just quickly just some verses that I thought through. This is what God has said He will do. And and I'm called to take Him at His Word. Romans 1.16 For I am not ashamed of the Gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. So if I'm going to take God at His Word, I've got to believe that in my life, even on those days when, when maybe I don't feel saved, that God says, the Gospel is my power to save everyone who believes. God saves everyone who believes. So I take Him at His Word. I trust Him. Romans 8, 28, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. So in my life, when things are not going well and everything's not going according to script and my plan, I have to take God at His word and say, God said that all things, not most things, not not some things, but all things that He will cause to work together for my good and His glory. He's going to conform me to the image of Christ, that He's doing a work in me. And even though I wouldn't do it this way, I'm going to take God at His word and I'm going to trust that in this, He is making me like Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 through 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in in all of our affliction. In the moment of my affliction, when when I'm experiencing hardship and heartache, I've got to believe and trust. God, you said that you would bring me comfort. So, Lord, I'm turning to you. Would you comfort me with your grace and with your mercy in the midst of this affliction? Philippians 1.6, I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Man, I get so frustrated with myself sometimes. The things I still struggle with and the things that still trip me up. Philippians 1.6 is a great promise. Let me take him at his word. He said he will not quit in the middle of the job. He's not walking off this job. He's the one who begun this in me, and he says he'll, he'll see it all the way through. So I'm going to trust that that's what he's doing. Philippians 4, 6 through 7, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So in the middle of my my anxiety and I'm worried about this and am I going to be able to finish? Am I going to be able to get all the things done that I've got to get done? I've got to take this to heart. And everything about prayer and supplication, have I prayed about this? Am, am Am I praying and asking God to meet my needs? To help me meet these deadlines? To get done what He's called me to get done? Am I asking Him, am I trusting Him to guard my heart and my mind? Philippians 4.19, My God will supply every need of yours according to His riches and glory in Jesus Christ. Perhaps you're here today and, man, things are tight right now. Maybe you're out of work or things are just not coming in like they were. And, man, you're, you're staring December 25th right in the face. And you're wondering how in the world you're going to make it happen. God says, I'll supply everything you need. Not necessarily everything you want, but I will supply everything you need. 
1 Corinthians 10, 13, God is faithful and He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation He will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. We can trust God that in the middle of our temptation, when we are right up against it and we think, man, I... I'm weak, and this is just who I am, and I have this proclivity toward this, and man, it's it's who I am. I just got to give in to this. The reality is, God says, no, no, no. If you are a child of mine, I will help you battle through this and win the battle in this, and I will give you a way out. Do we take him at his word? James chapter 1, verse 5, last one I'll give you. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him... Ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. You're up against something, and you think, man, I just don't know what to do. I want want to do what's right. I want to do what's wise, but I'm not sure I know what's wise here. God says, hey, hey, creator of the universe, sustain everything. I I write the end from the beginning. Ask me, I'll tell you. Are we going to take God at his word? We can do this all throughout Scripture. The reality is you and I will probably never see an angel or hear an army of angels in our lives. But God has indeed spoken to us. God has has given us good news. In fact, the Bible is made up with over 31,000 verses where God says, trust me. Take me at my word. Number two, they made him known. And I would challenge you and encourage you to make him known. The Bible says there in verses 17 and 18, when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. All, and all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. They just make, they just make it known. They take God at his word and they respond. And they say, let's, let's go see. And they go and lo and behold, the angel told the truth. Mary and Joseph, this baby in a manger, wrapped in swaddling cloths and they're minds are blown and in the midst of that they go let me tell you what just happened to us we're out in the the field and with our sheep and all of a sudden angel shows up and tells us good news great joy a savior is born for all the people the city this one we came and we saw and this is the savior of the world and they just tell they just make known what had just happened to them God could send angels to every single person on the planet. Let me stop and think about that. If, if God sent angels to the shepherds in the first place, don't you think that throughout history, that every one of us could have our angelic moment? You're in the supermarket. You know, you're scratching a cantaloupe, you know, and an angel shows up. And God could do that. Right? God could do that for every single one of us. But God doesn't work that way. God doesn't choose to work that way. God doesn't do the things the the way that we might do them. Instead, God sent a multitude of angels to a few shepherds in order to send a few shepherds to the multitudes. You and I are now those shepherds who have been sent to the multitudes. We have been given this great commission to go and make disciples of all nations. And so let me just give you some practical ways to do this because I realize that not everyone is really comfortable about making him known and sharing their faith. That many of you sit in this room and you know, yes, I know, Pastor, I should be telling the gospel. I should be witnessing to the people that are in my world. But, Pastor, it is hard. 
It scares me to death, and I'm not good at it. And what if they ask me something I don't know? And So let me just give you some practical things. Number one, start by identifying someone to tell. You know the reason why most of us never get around to telling anybody? Because we never actually think about somebody in particular to share. We, never, we just don't get around to tell. So think of someone. Think of a loved one. We're all probably at some point going to be around loved ones this season. And man, that can be trepidatious for, for some people. You're thinking, i got to go to my families and holy cow, you know, it's just, it's taxing and all this kind of stuff. Have you ever went in there with gospel eyes? And I'm not saying you go in there like gospel Rambo, you know, and just blow everybody up. I'm dating myself talking about Rambo, right? But what I am saying is that you go in there and you say, you know what? In in 21 years of knowing my in-laws, I've never had a conversation with my mother-in-law about what Christ means to me. You know what? Maybe this Christmas should be different. You know, in in, in 40 years, I've I've never talked to my uncle about Jesus. Maybe maybe this is the year I should talk to my uncle. I'm, I'm telling you, a great place to start is for us to say, who's one person that I'm going to share the gospel with. So start there. Begin praying for them and, and for the opportunity to have that conversation. Um, if, you've ever, if you've ever set out to do this, you know that things don't always go as, as planned. You can, you can plan these things. And look, if you're on the receiving end of one of these and somebody tries to have a conversation about Jesus with you and it's awkward, look, don't get mad at them and get angry, you know, because it was awkward. Look, the reason they're having that conversation with you is because they love you. And they believe what they're telling you. And they want you to know the peace and the hope and the joy that they know in Christ. And so that's what's motivating them. But if you've ever tried to share the gospel with somebody, you know sometimes it doesn't always go the way you thought it might in your head. Maybe they ask a, a, a weird, off-the-wall question that just, man, you didn't think about that. How do, you, how do you steer that? And how do you. Look, begin to pray. Pray that God would open the door, give you the opportunity. Pray for the person. And then at some point, tell. You've got to pull the trigger. I think this is part of the problem is we get stuck in this, okay, this faith, I'm going I'm to identify and I'm going to pray, and we stay right there. I'm going to identify and I'm going to pray. I'm going to identify and I'm going to pray. And we wind up being kind of like, you ever, you ever flown on a plane and you kind of get stuck on, on, the, um, on, on the runway and, and you're waiting for them to give you permission to take off and you're just sitting there in that plane, you know? That's where a lot of us are. And what we need to do is we just need to taxi to the runway and, and, and take off. Just step out there. You, you won't know what God will do through that conversation until you step out there. Maybe it will be awkward. But you won't know until you do it. Look, if, um, if I had the cure for cancer, would I hold that to myself? <laughs> I'd be cruel to hold it to myself, wouldn't I? And we have, we have the spiritual hope of the nations in the gospel. Why would we hold that to ourselves?
the outcome may not be what you expect it to be. The, the Bible here tells us that all who heard it wondered. I mean, the shepherds are just, blah, you know, they just kind of just tell everything. Man, this angel came, and you can hear them all cutting over top of one another, like, you know, and people are getting frustrated. Man, I was going to tell that part. Let me tell that part, you know, and all that. It, it may not always go as you expect. The Bible here says that as they're telling this, that all who heard it wondered, which means they didn't all go, that's amazing, I believe that. What it means is that some of them went, they're crazy. I mean, they've spent a little too much time around the sheep, right? And when you step out there and, and you get out there and you share the gospel, it may not always go according to you have planned it, but here's what I would tell you, stay in your lane, were the shepherds supposed to take on the role of the Savior? No. The good news was that there was a Savior born for them, and he's laying in a manger. They're not the Savior. Were they responsible for bringing peace on earth? No. That was from God. God would give that to men with whom he's pleased, right? Their role, their lane, was to go and see and then to make it known. And so that's what I would tell you. Stay in your lane. See the glory and the grandeur of our God this Christmas, and then make it known. That's your lane. Stay in your lane. Good news is not hard to share, is it? If I would venture to say that if tonight lottery numbers come across the screen, and you hit it, and man, you won big, would you tell somebody? Yeah, probably so. You'd probably be careful who you told because you know them, right? Good news is not hard to share. Abby got her driver's license yesterday. Sent me a text message. I passed. That's good news, right? Good news is not hard to share. Tell it. Number three. Praise God in the everyday outworking of your life. This is the last one. Take Him at His word. Make Him known. And praise God in the everyday outworking of your life. In, in verse 20, it seems simple. Promise I, I'm really not trying to kind of work this into the text. I think this is there. Praise God in the everyday outworking of your life. The shepherds returned and went back to the sheep, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen as it had been told them. What this means is they didn't quit their jobs. And what this means for you and I is that following Jesus does not require that everything in our, that we know in, in, in life as it is has to stop and come to an end. It doesn't mean that. We don't all of a sudden come to Jesus and then go in the next day tell our boss, I'm done. I'm just going to sit around and wait for the Lord to come back. The Bible never tells us to do that. Things don't come to an end because we follow the Lord. In fact... It changes the way we do those things. We keep doing those same things. It just changes the way that we do them. Those things are not the end anymore. You go to work to earn a paycheck, right? For many of you. Now, I'm not saying that's all the only reason. Many of you love your jobs. You love going to work. You love making a difference in people's lives and helping others and that sort of thing. But the job, without, without this bigger purpose of glorifying God ever ascending praise and glory to God. Without that, your job's just a job. But if, if there's good news of great joy that a Savior has been born to you and to all the people, 
then it changes the way you do everything. You go back to work and you say, I no longer simply work for my boss. I no longer simply work to earn a paycheck. I no longer simply work for this or for that to provide for my family. Now, my biggest agenda when I work is I'm glorifying God here. I'm going to harness this and utilize this to make much of God in my sphere. This is what is meant when Colossians 3.17 says, Whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. So today, I would tell you, there is good news of great joy. I stand here as pastor of this church and I herald it to you that unto you is born a Savior for all people, the most unlikely people among us, even you, even me. There's a Savior born for us. His name's Christ the Lord. There is no other hope for you outside of Him. If you know that news to be true and you have found Him to be your Savior, then take Him at His word, make Him known, and glorify Him in the everyday outworking of your life. If you're here today and you don't know Him as your Savior, then hear this heralding today. Get past the fact that this is not an angel standing up here. And hear the gospel to you today. That God said, I want you to hear this news. Take me at my word. Let's pray. Well, Jesus, we love you. And God, we thank you that even though, even though in so many ways we are disqualified and we are outcasts, we are ordinary and simple and common and unclean and shady people, Lord, we are so thankful that you make your grace known to unlikely people like us. God, I pray that you would do, do that in the lives of those who are here. Lord, for those who do not know you, God, I pray today that you might open their, their eyes, help them to see the truth of the gospel, the beauty of it, and God, that they might take you at your word, receive you as Savior today. God, for those who are here, Lord, and that already know you as Savior and are walking with you, that are striving daily to die to themselves and follow after you, God, today I pray that you would help them, Lord, to take you at your word. God, that you would move among us as a church, that we would make you known, that you would help us to see the people that you already have in our lives. And God, that we would not see them as numbers or targets, God, that we would see them the way that you see them, that you love them, that you love them so much that you sent your son to die for them, to die in their place so that they would not have to suffer the wrath of God for their sin. God, help us to see them that way. God, I pray that in the everyday outworking of our lives, God, that we would go to work with a, with a renewed sense of purpose that we go to make much of you. Lord, would you do it in my heart and in the hearts of those who are here for your own name's sake. Amen. I want to give you an opportunity to reflect and respond. I'm going to be seated down here on the front row. I'd love for you to come speak with me.
If God has shown you today your need of Him and, and you just need help, you don't know what to do next, where do I go, what do I, who do I talk to, um, feel free to, in the midst of when we sing, to, to just come down to me and, and uh, just start a conversation. When you come down here to start this conversation, I'm committing myself that, to that with you. But it doesn't have to be. You're not coming today necessarily that you've got it all figured out and that you're ready, man, to, to jump in there. The Bible says that we're to consider the cost. And so today, if, if that's where you are and you're simply at a place where you just need to consider the cost, then come start a conversation. If today you are ready and you say, man, I, I know the cost and I know the emptiness of my own striving and today, I want to know that I'm saved, that I'm forgiven, that I have a Savior that was born for me. Then, by all means, come to me. Let me, let me help you with that. I'd love to do that. If you're here and you just need to pray, you can make use of these steps at the front. Come and kneel across those. There's, there will be people in a prayer room out in those doors that would love to just hear your burden and just pray with you. They're not there to counsel you. They're simply there to listen and to pray. Whatever it is that God is leading you to today, I just want to encourage you to say yes and to respond in obedience. Let's, let's worship Him as we respond. This time of teaching is brought to you by Abner Creek Baptist Church. For more information, visit www.abnercreekbaptist.com.